fell asleep in church. History and the... Hey there, Second Pot podcast listeners. Welcome to the latest episode of Second Pot. I am Serena Wolf, and I'm here in the Trinity studio with... Caleb Spiker. And we are excited today to uh, talk very about... Very excited. Very excited today to talk about faith and life, what's happening in the church, and to review some energy drink. Let's get to it. Yep. See, yesterday, uh, Serena, when um, during the sermon, talked a little bit about the church I grew up in in the 90s. Um, and... I said something to the effect of the Holy Spirit was more or less theoretical. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't like we didn't deny the Holy Spirit's existence, um, but as part of sort of the broader evangelical mainline movement of the 90s, um, you know, my church growing up and just about every other 90s evangelical church just didn't really need the Holy Spirit. Like, it, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't necessary for the worldview. Um, and in the 90s, worldview was everything yep. for evangelicalism. Christian worldview, Christian worldview. Christian worldview, religious right, you know. Um, yeah, it's, it was this... this and I would, I would make the argument even that... The this sort of strange season that we are in in American religion, where we have this increasing number of uh, non-religiously affiliated millennials, um, stems directly from this. That you know, for people who are close to my age, um. we consumed a lot of worldview preaching and not a whole lot of gospel preaching. How old were you in the 90s? I was three when the 90s began and 13 when the 90s were over. So, like, I, my elementary school years were in the 90s. Because I was a young adult. Right, like I graduated from high school in 95. So, yeah. Um, I mean, I certainly remember lots of worldview um, preaching because I was a Baptist at the time. Now, I um, periodically went to a local United Methodist church um, which I considered like the McDonald's of of church. As Fortune um, Feimster says, I'm a Methodist, which is like Christianity light. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was it was barely an hour long service. Very nice people, right? Mm-hmm. People made some great food, um, but it was not my Baptist church. I also went to my grandmother's Wesleyan church a few times. Mm. Loved the people there. No question about the Holy Ghost there. Mm-hmm. No question mm-hmm. about the Holy Ghost. Um, Holy Ghost not so present in the Baptist church. Um, didn't talk about the Holy Spirit too much. And I think it's not just that there was a lot of reaction, right? Okay, so 
um, I was talking with my mentor over the weekend on Friday, and, you know, we were talking about women in ministry because that's been a thing this past week um, because of Saddleback Church ordaining two women as pastors. And so the SBC is having a reaction. The reality is the religious right and uh, the evangelicals in the 80s and the 90s, this is all reactionary. Like, if you go back and look at, at least for me specifically, what the Baptist churches were doing, the SBC, the regular Baptist, everything was reactionary to um, first the civil rights movement and then the sexual revolution. All reactionary, right? Um, Where was I going with this? It's me. Anyway, the holy... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Red Bull fails, by the Red way. Red Bull gives you... Red Bull does not help my brain function. Um, so, yeah, I don't remember a lot of talk about the Trinity, but, of course, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Um, not that not that Baptists don't believe in the Trinity. They absolutely do. It's just, you know, their confessions usually go, we believe in the Bible, we believe in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, But the Holy Spirit didn't do stuff around me like the Holy Spirit did in Acts, Mm. right? Because the Baptists typically are also cessationist. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think there was also, aside from the reaction to the secular world, there was also some reactivity to uh, the rise of Pentecostalism, Mm. right? And the the rise of... um, you know, the, uh, the Toronto blessing. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Um, you know, God is a God of order. And if you allow the Holy spirit in things might get crazy. Look at those crazy people barking and doing wild things. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, uh, I was very uncomfortable with the idea of, um, Pentecostalism and f- spirit-filled churches, um, yeah. And so the well, Holy and Spirit I think even even fundamentally, you know, this um, if we think about you know worldview in evangelicalism in the '90s being about taking control of mm-hmm. everything, right? Like like control. Um, your emotions and behavior yep. are going to control the world. You know, we'll control the culture so that it re- more reflects the kingdom, right? Like it was very much a, we can like through the force of our will and our discipline, we can bring about a better world, both in our households and in the world more widely. Well, to the be idea fair. that, that you are dependent on, God choosing to show up and move in a particular way to bring mm-hmm. about that reality, like doesn't really jive with with that bigger premise that it is a disciplined thing that you can manufacture as an act of worship to God. Um, I mean, I think, and and I could be remembering incorrectly. I think you know there was there was a realization that you had to rely upon God, right? Like, 
I mean, this is, this is probably why you and I differ so much on this, like, who are we at base, right? Like, I am a sinner at base, right? Oh, um, I am too. Like, well, yeah, we, we, we don't we, disagree on talked, that. Well, like, yeah. The, the, the disagreement is, like, uh, I mean, I think the, the language of, like, can God make us good, to which I say no, right? Like, like, like I am neither good nor bad, I am dead, and God can make me alive, and I have the freedom to choose that which is good and of the kingdom. But Caleb, which I think is, is de- isn't dead bad? Depends. Listeners, I'm giving Caleb a, a, a stare, a skeptical stare. She is. Mm-hmm. Anyway. We'll, we'll come back to this because <laughs> I am still convinced that I am right and you are not. But oh. you're convinced that you're right or at I, least I'm, not I'm wrong. not convinced that I'm you're right. But like I just I, I'm 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 enjoying this banter about the oh, subject. OK, so. great. Um, gosh, how did we get here? OK, no, I think there was a re- there was a realization that we relied upon God. Um, but, you know. But it was, we relied upon what God had already done. Exactly. And then we lived into it, right? Exactly. Like the victory is won. You have the power now to determine your life and live into that victory, yep. rather than you are still dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit to yeah. live into that victory. Yeah. Like, I think that's the nuance. And I think this is why I feel um, spiritually at home in a Wesleyan holiness tradition, right? Like... Well, wait a minute. If, if like God just saves me and then leaves me there, like that, I know myself. I'm gonna mess up. So God will forgive me. That's awesome. Can't God just keep me from messing up or help me not mess up so much? Um, yeah. I mean, man, like I'm so thankful. I came to faith in a Baptist church. So thankful, right? Like I have been singing hymns as long as I can remember, like good hymns, mm. not like the hymns in some denominational song hymn, hymnals and songbooks. Um, Where they change all the words and change the meaning by doing so and that sort of thing. As long as I'm running the PowerPoint at Trinity, we are not singing the way they rewrote <laughs> Be Thou My Vision. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to make the podcast or not, but please don't make me sing Great God of Heaven, My Victory Won. Like, I want to sing High King of Heaven because it's a kingdom, not a kingdom. Oh, you went there. I did go there. You went there. Okay. So, experience the Holy Spirit. Mm. Um, Yeah, all that to say that I think that... um, the lack of comfort or the lack of, yeah, the lack of comfort with the idea of the spirit moving and still doing the work today that um, the spirit did in the book of Acts. um, I think part of that's a pushback to the charismatic movement, not Pentecostal. I was looking for charismatic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And I get that, right? Like the first time I went to a charismatic church, I was like, "Mm, I don't know about this. Yeah. Well, and, you know, like I think about 
what I what I assumed was Orthodox Christianity, like as a twenty year old. And then <laughs> you know, it's a little different now, huh? And then how it's um how that definition has changed being introduced to the great tradition. Because, you know, the orthodoxy of 90s evangelicalism, it wasn't real, like, it wasn't in conflict with the great tradition, but it wasn't deeply informed by it either, right? Um, so it had this, this strong piece of, um, you know, therapeutic moralism, right? Like, we are Christians so that we can be better people. You know, a whole lot of Jesusism, you know, we prayed to Jesus. We, mm-hmm. you know, we put our faith in Jesus. Like all these things that are good, right? Like I'm not saying any of it is like wrong, but it's limited, right? Like orthodoxy from a two thousand year perspective of what is Christian orthodoxy is every bit as dependent on the work of the first and third articles of the Trinity, not just the second. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, the 90s evangelical orthodoxy was, you know, deeply committed to young earth creationism, um, was deeply committed to, you know, a handful of social agenda type things Mm -hmm. like gay marriage and abortion and, um, you know, justification for the war, the wars Mm -hmm. of my childhood, you know, kind of culminating in the war in Iraq, like they dovetailed perfectly there at the end of the nineties. Yeah. Um, and I think for a lot of people, my age, you know, they're, there was this disconnect as we moved into adulthood between, you know, what we see in the life of the church and the Bible and, the sort of life that Jesus is calling us to and the things that, that had been emphasized as part of our youth in the church. Yeah. Did, didn't you, did you go to a Methodist church? I did. As a child? Okay. Yeah. It's funny because you made a comment to me the other day, like, you know, how so many people your age didn't actually hear the gospel. But you were in church. I mean, your your childhood happened. I was a young adult in the church, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm from a Baptist background. You better believe we heard the gospel. But for me, it was that the gospel, when you put feet on it, didn't do anything. Um, well, it didn't. It didn't jive, right? Like, well, I mean, the the, the gospel that that we heard was, you are a sinner. You deserve to go to hell. If you put your trust in Jesus, you don't go to hell. Isn't that great? Mm. which isn't wrong. No. But it is putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Yes. <laughs> right? Like the the problem like the problem is not that I'm going to hell. That's a problem for me. But the big problem, capital P problem, the problem that requires a solution is that I'm separated from God. Yes. Right? Like, God wants to know me. God wants to be known by me. This is the problem in which Jesus is the solution as the atoning sacrifice for the world. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, so I, I remember being, you know, 20 and just being like, gosh, like, <laughs> yeah. so, uh, so I'm, I'm not going to hell cause I put my trust in Jesus, but the problem isn't that I'm going to hell because I don't know God and I still don't know God. Right. Like, like this is the, like, this was the moral dilemma. I'm sitting on my couch just being like, Oh, nuts. Yeah. This isn't good. You know? So when I'm, you know, 16, 17, the dilemma is, you know, I'm reading the Beatitudes and this is not jiving with who I am or who I think I want to be or what I think is important Mm -hmm. at 20. It's, I'm reading, you know, the, 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 the Pentateuch, like I'm reading the problem of the meta narrative that we are given in the old Testament. And it's like, it's not about me. True. I mean, I'm, I mean, it I'm is a about part you, of it, but it's, yeah. but, but the, the problem is so far beyond me escaping eternal torment and fire and brimstone and whatever. Right. Like, um, so, you know, this, this sort of crisis at 16 said, well, you know, I don't really need, I don't really need all the orthodox parts of my upbringing. I need to, you know, do the red letter Jesus thing and, you know, Uh learn how to be kind to people and desire peacefulness and meekness and that sort of thing. And then at 20, it's like, Wait, 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 wait. Like there is there is more going on here either than what I learned as a child, what I was scared of at 16, or what I'm scared of now. And thank God for the um for the happy accident of winding up at United where the great tradition became um the framework for thinking about the Christian faith. Yeah. Or I'd probably still just be lost and, you know, scared. Yeah. Because the worldview warrior mentality of the 90s, you know, didn't well, shake out. It, and the the sort of uh, emergent... Uh, red letter ex-evangelical thing didn't shake out either. Mm-hmm. But what does shake out is what we believed 2,000 years ago. Yeah. Right? Like, like getting back to this is, um, is what makes sense of the world. Right. Well, it's interesting um, because as a young adult in a church that like was probably fundamental. I remember the day I told one of my college professors that I was a fundamental Christian and he looked at me like I was an alien with kids. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm proud of that. He's like, okay. Um, I think, you know, you, you talk about, you know, being afraid of hell. Um, I, what what I found dissatisfying about the worldview thing and about Christianity as it as I had been taught it, as it was being preached, was that it was very legal. Okay, it was it was a for for Jesus who brings life 
and freedom, whose commandments were love, um, I didn't experience much of that in Mm. my church. Uh, There wasn't any room for disagreements. There wasn't much room for, well, this is how God wired me. Um, Yeah, and I, I... I had a hard time reconciling. Um, it was the grace of God that led me to a church that was led by my friend Paul, a graduate of Asbury. So, you know, there was a lot of preaching on grace. And um, I remember the first time, so we stopped going to the Baptist church. Our last day there was like Father's Day one year uh, when pastor called all the men up for prayer, which I'm behind, right? Like if it's Father's Day and you want to call the men up and pray over them, please do. But he looked at them and said, you are the church. You are the leaders that God placed in our church. And I was like, wait a minute. Freaking. Anyway. Um, so that was, that was our last weekend there. Um, we took a weekend off of going to church. And then the next weekend, we ended up at a United Methodist Church and I had been actually studying Catholicism because the most faithful, loving women in my life at that time were Catholics. Um, But I could not convince Tyler to convert. So, you know, we were going to stay Protestant. So you found a middle of the road. (laughs) Yes, actually. So, but I mean, the first Sunday there, like they baptize an infant. I was like, oh, oh, I love this, right? Like, that was a big concern of mine, that I knew that Maya in a, the Baptist church wouldn't be considered a Christian until she made a public mm. profession of faith. But I was like, but as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. Anyway, um, and then Paul also said, you know, Jesus was political, but he was not partisan. When you come here, you are not Republican or Democrat. You are Christian. And coming, hearing that after being in a church where the pastor flat out said at the platform, if you vote for a Democrat who supports abortion, you know, all these different, you are not a Christian. Um, I remember Tyler leaned over and goes, we're going to stay here, aren't we? I'm like, yeah, we are. <laughs> <laughs> and that was that. But um, yeah, yeah, I... I love my Baptist brothers and sisters, but the view of the work of Christ and the work of the Spirit and God's grace and love and how that, you know, how they put feet to that, it's so shallow. It's so shallow. And that makes me sad. But I would say, you know, on the other spectrum of people who... Well, and it's individuals, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Like, there are super faithful people in every tradition. And there are antinomials in every tradition. And sure. You know, but what's what was coming for but you know what is it, being taught, you know, right. can be a yeah. But I would say that the opposite end of the spectrum. Now, you talk about red letter Christian, which I think is a term phrased by Tony Campolo. It's Campolo and Claiborne. Yeah, I still dig them. That whole movement out of Philadelphia. Oh, I, I, I yeah, still dig I, them. I do too. But, yeah. but um, you know, we have uh, people who go the, uh, the way, the opposite end of the fundamentalist group and are so progressive that their understanding of the gospel is also shallow, right? Like, well, I mean, if, if you're going to 
So, I mean, my... Like, I find myself incredibly frustrated by these people who are like, oh, I'm just deconstructing the Christian faith. Yeah. Because here's the thing. As someone who studied philosophy, you neither understand Christianity nor the process of deconstruction. You're just looking like a petulant child. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. It's yeah. like the whole, well... The Bible is just a book written by people who may or may not have experienced God. That's not deconstruction. Not God, the divine. The divine. If you're if you're if the you're divine. verbally subtweeting here. I mean, like that's not deconstruction. Right. Right? Like like that is the rejection of a narrative. Deconstruction is not rejection. Right. It shouldn't be. Like, that is, like, you can't just replace one meta narrative with another mm-hmm. and say that's incredulity towards meta narratives. No, you are, you are the worst form of Nietzschean will to power, uber mensch shenanigans. Shenanigans. <laughs> I mean, it's like, <laughs> no, like, sure, let's go ahead and, and have a, a conversation on deconstruction. And what that means is you take all the reasonable sort of definitions of the way scripture functions and you hold them in tension. Mm-hmm. Like deconstruction is not cut and cut and paste, r- r- you know, replace, right? Like that's, 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 that's just, that's not what, what Leotard and Foucault and, you know, the people who actually gave us this framework for thinking had in mind. It's not even close. Well, and wasn't part of that framework also making sure that the voices on the margin, on the margins were heard? Yes. Right? Like, yes. And, and when you... I mean, this is yeah. my frustration with James Cone, right? James Cone gives us incredibly helpful framework for thinking about the way black theology should be understood. Mm-hmm. And what he writes needs to enter into the evidence basket, needs to be held in tension with the predominant German Western view, mm-hmm. right? Like it does, like it should. But James Cohn doesn't ask for that. He asks for everything that's come before to be thrown out and to be replaced with what he gives us, which is so arrogant. Like I don't even know where to start. Well, like it's, it's no better than the German... Um, the the worst of the German theologians. Well, right? it's, it's like, worse because at least they can say, you know, we're part of this thousand year process of, you know, having some some kind of dialectic, even if it's just amongst each other. Like I don't James know. Cone is saying, as an individual, like what I am writing is better than the thousand years that came across the Atlantic Ocean to us. Yeah, but like the demyth the demythization. Say the word for me, Caleb. Demythologizing. Yes, thank you. Uh, of scripture is kind of the same thing, right? Like, oh, you quaint ancient people, this wasn't really these. We don't think these miracles actually happened, right? Like, I. I oh, and that's such a new idea. It's not like people were saying that in the third century, 
and in the 11th century <laughs> and in the 17th and 18th and 19th and 20th centuries. Like, give me a break. You aren't novel and special. Like, heresy are, is boring. There have not is. been new heresies. It takes mystery and tries to make it simple. Yeah. It's boring. Yeah, I'm with you. Well, I still don't know that we ended up talking much about the work of the Spirit. Um, except I, I will say, like, I thought your sermon was very good, right? Like the church being driven by the Spirit. It was refreshing. It was a refreshing sermon. Well, and I think it's what we need to hear, right? Yeah. Like, like, I mean, I've, I've said this before, and I'll say it again, right? Like, I basically preach to me every week and hope that someone else <laughs> needs to hear it. Um, like, I don't know another way. I know some people who, like, do, like, surveys and, like, see what... I mean, in this summer, I guess we're kind of being like, hey, yeah, go ahead, throw some topics. I mean, but... I mean, even there, I'm going to be preaching the sermon I need to hear on that topic, right? Like, it'll be convicting for me, and maybe will for you too, right? Like, like this is, because um, I mean, and and this is like right, wrong, or indifferent. This is the way the the process of preaching works for me. Is I see a text, I read the text, I study the background of the text. Somewhere along the line, I am convicted of something broken in my thinking, in my behavior, and invariably, that's what we end up talking about. Yeah. Um, By the way, though, I think that uh, asking for a friend, the idea of doing that after going through the creed, I think is really good, right? Like, we just spent months talking about... (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> the basics of Christian faith. What are your questions, Trinity? I'm I'm really excited. Do you think people made the connection, by the way, because we revealed the graphic this weekend? Do you think people made the connection between big hairy questions and asking for a friend? I is that too I, much of I, an inside I, joke? I don't. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. My guess is that there there is one person who remembers that we did a series called Big Hairy Questions. And that I bought a graphic from a, a graphic designer through Fiverr from the Philippines who gave us this Yeti character. I mean, once you've seen the Yeti character, I don't know how you forget it. It was, you paid for that? Five bucks. Well, I mean, five dollars. The Global Methodist Church paid for their logo too. So, five dollar, five dollar graphic. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah. And at some point, you know, as we talk about this, like we also, before the podcast talk, before we were recording, talked about, you know, like talking about the Holy Spirit, especially, you know, as I experienced that in Cuba. Um, and I've had other experiences. Um, yeah. I'll, this all makes me excited again to talk about that. So Good. Good, good. <laughs> All right, Caleb, today we have uh, Red Bull, the Red Edition watermelon flavor. And this comes highly recommended, right? It does come highly recommended. While I was trying to pick among the variety of energy drinks from the gas station down the road, I'm looking in the cooler, and a dude comes up, and he's like, ah, 
you like Red Bull? I'm like, I don't know. I've never tried it. I'm just trying to pick out a flavor. Turns out he's like the the Red Bull uh, drug dealer for the Mm. gas station. Like I go outside and there is a Red Bull truck. Like oh. he's he's the delivery man. So um, he explained to me that Red Bull comes out with a new edition every season. The summer edition this year is Dragon Fruit, but he said that his favorite edition so far is the Red Edition. Mm, mm-hmm. He said it's delicious. Um, he's I'm sure being paid to make recommendations. I'm sure he. Is. But you know what? He just pegged you as a watermelon person. Well, I I don't know that that's accurate, but I figured, what the heck? Good enough for the Red Bull delivery guy, good enough for us. So. Yeah, let's try it. This one has sugar, like 38 grams or something. A lot of it. Yeah. In a not very big can, in fact. So 12 fluid ounces, 38 grams of sugar. Okay. Ooh! That's sweet. It's like drinking. And we have found the first one worse than bang. Nah, second one worse than bang. Oh, man. That is like. Red Bull delivery guy lets you down. And it sounds like it's full of Pop Rocks. Yeah, it does. <clears throat> Actually, it tastes like Pop Rocks. Mm-hmm. It tastes like Pop Rocks and Sprite. But there's not a lot of carbonation. Mm, take another drink. Just a fair amount. I mean... You're going to be burping like it's your job today. I mean, my tongue feels all, like, pop rocky. Hmm. Okay, if I let it sit in my mouth, there is... Yeah. Yeah. All right, so what makes Red Bull an energy drink? Let's see. Tons of sugar... So they're 160 calories. Not that much caffeine for, uh, I mean, 114 milligrams, a little more than like Mountain Dew, but certainly not hitting the levels of some other things that we've drank. Yeah, well, okay, but it's 114 milligram for 12 fluid ounces. Yeah. That's all. We've had 300 per 12. Uh, There was more than 12 in that one. Oh, we've had 200 per 12. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, even 300 per 16 is still a whole lot more than 114 for 12. Yeah, maybe it's the combination of the caffeine, the 38 grams of added sugar, and the B vitamins. So that's interesting. Ingredients, carbonated water, sugar, sugar, glucose. Isn't that that also sugar? Yes. So... (laughs) And then, uh, yeah, that's carbonated water, sugar, sugar, citric acid. And then it starts with the things I can't pronounce. I'm giving it a three. It's okay. It's, it's not good. It's okay. Um, it's very sweet. It is very sweet. Very watermelony. And it doesn't taste like... Cough syrup, so that's a plus, I guess. But mm. I, I don't think a cherry flavored Red Bull would taste like cough syrup. Pretty sure, because this stuff is like, it's like syrup, goes yeah. down like syrup. Um, yeah. yeah. So, 
I, I actually think I like it better than Bang still. Um, but we'll we'll see. I I think I'll give it a a four. I love the copy on the can. Red Bull is appreciated worldwide by top athletes, busy professionals, college students, and travelers on long journeys. So when I was a, so the summer between my freshman and sophomore year of college, I was a tennis instructor at a camp for rich Jewish kids um, in, in Massachusetts. Like, the producer of the Today Show, her three kids went to this camp. Nice. Right? Like, you know, high power attorneys in New York City, like their children went to this camp. Um, like it was, it was like, they made it exceedingly clear, you are not to accept any gifts from parents during the um during the family day because back in the day when they were accepting gifts counselors were making more on family day than <gasps> they were for the rest of the summer holy working. cow wow yeah so we had one dad who had played a little bit of mini tour tennis back in the day and like he just you know he's one of these you know, seven or eight figures a year attorney guys now in New York City. So, like, he'd go and, like, challenge tennis instructors, be like, hey, let's let's play a match. I'll give you 10 to 1, right? So, like, whatever you can put up, if you win, I'll give you 10 times what you're putting up. If you lose, I get what you put up. So it's like, you know, if there's someone who's put up a thousand bucks, he'd give them $10,000 if, if they won. Yeah. And that's, you know, chump change. That would be sure. like, it'd be like me having a, you know, like a $5 bet with, I mean, just, it was, it was insane. This, um, j- just the culture shock for me as a, uh, you know, middle-class white guy from middle America, because, you know, so I remember when, you know, Donald Trump was running for president. Like, he's been married three times. He's married a different Eastern European woman. You know, he trades him in every 20 years. And it's like, yeah, that's what, like, that's what the rich dudes in New York City do, mm. right? Like, for, so I had a cabin full of eight-year-old kids. And for about half of our families, the mom and aunt came in the morning you know, and she's, you know, maybe 35, 40. And then the 60-year-old dad would come in the afternoon with his new 20-year-old Eastern European bride and their new baby. It was wild. Cringe. Wild. And that that was like a normal thing was just kind of like, I can't hardly believe that. You know what the best part of this story is, Caleb? What's that? Is the thought of you having a cabin of (laughs) eight-year-olds. Oh, man. I bet that was fantastic. It was. Mm -hmm. We, uh, um, I would tell Dr. Joshua stories before bed. 
and you know Dr. Joshua, he would uh, you know, he'd heal people, and uh, Dr. Joshua eventually uh, you know died but didn't stay dead, so it was good. Oh, yeah. Wow, how'd that go? Oh, it was fun. They they liked hearing Dr. Joshua's story, so I just kept telling them. Nice. Yep. How do you think the parents reacted when the kids were like, "Yeah, my counselor told me about this guy Joshua." Yeah, I don't. I, do you remember what the attention span on an eight year old is yeah, like? That's true. That's true. <laughs> that's true. So, all right. Um, so you give Red Bull a three. Yeah, I'm not Red Bull Watermelon Edition. I'm gonna give you a four. Um, the next the next drink I'll bring in in two weeks because we switch weeks will be one of the um, you know we're gonna do bang. It'll be scary, but it'll be all right. Listeners, Caleb Spiker just chugged the rest of his Red Bull. So he may not like it, but he took down that bottle or that I, can. I need the caffeine. So on on mornings that we have podcasts, I do not do my morning caffeinating ritual. Mm. Okay. Just so I can hopefully start to feel the effects as time goes on. Yeah. This morning, unfortunately, uh, I had an apple fritter for breakfast, so... I am well on my way to, like, a blood sugar <laughs> overload today. Yeah, 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 that's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe one of these weeks uh, we can review each other's morning caffeine ritual. Oh, oh, I'm not sure I want your morning caffeine ritual. What is it? It's half a dozen excedrins and a tall glass of water. Not really half a dozen. It's. I wish the listeners could see the eye roll. <laughs> but they can't. But they can imagine it, the ones that know me. All right. Yeah. Well, I will look forward to you trying my morning caffeine of choice. Oh, it's, it's going to taste so disgusting. It's, a, it's, it's going to be a zero. Tea. Oh, yep, zero. Yeah, it's going to tell you right now, it's, it'll be worse than Red Bull Red Edition. Well, I suspect you're going to make me drink Diet Mountain Dew, so... Which is delicious. Mm-hmm. You will thank me. You'll say, how have I been drinking this disgusting hot tea all these years when this delicious nectar of heaven is right in front of me? Do you know what I used to drink back in my financial aid days? For bre- well, drink and eat for breakfast. Drink and eat? Yeah, my so breakfast has to be... at when I worked in financial aid on days that I knew it was going to be rough. Oatmeal cream pie and uh, oh, that was worse. Combos. Oh yeah, Combos and Mountain Dew. Oh hey, no, I'm, no, no judgment here. I cast judgment on twenty-four-year-old Serena for drinking Mountain Dew and eating Combos and calling it the breakfast of champions. So when I was uh, in school, I had this. Bad habit. Well, I don't even think it was a bad habit. I should rephrase that. So I am a deep believer that every day I'm growing and becoming a fuller, more well-developed person, which means that like writing a term paper 
before the last possible minute is a failure to allow my most fully well-developed person come into being. So on the night before large papers were due, I would uh, go to the grocery store. I'd have a bag of Twizzlers, a bag of Doritos, a two-liter of Mountain Dew, and I'd figure out how to fry up some bacon. And your parents allowed this? They didn't know, did they? I've met your mom. She didn't know. I was in school. How was she supposed to find out? You meant like you mean like college? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and Term high, papers high, high school, school writing is pff, high school writing. That's 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 a piece of cake. Because you didn't have my English teacher, dude. Go ahead. Yeah. So yeah, that was. Just call that writing fuel. No, that's awful. It's delicious, and also why I gained three pounds per uh, per per paper, but. What you got to do? Yeah. All right. So, question and answer time. Pastor Serena, one question that I was given, and, and I think this goes really well with like kind of the last three weeks of what we've talked about on Sunday mornings. So, Jesus uh, descent into the dead to rescue the saints, you know, mm-hmm. the the centrality of resurrection in the life of a Christian. And then this idea of the life in the spirit and what that looks like for the eternal life of a Christian. And the question raised was when a person dies, what happens? Do they stay in the grave until the final day of resurrection when Jesus returns and the saints are resurrected? Or is there some sort of, eternal life in the heavenly realm that humans experience before the day of resurrection when when everything comes to completion and satisfaction that's an interesting question right this is actually something yeah this is actually something uh, my 10 year old daughter she loves to drill me on heaven and the new earth and I mean, so let's see. St. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. He also talks about those who have died as those who have fallen asleep. So I don't know that we have a really clear understanding of what happens. Tend to agree with you. But one of the things that I like to talk about with Lucy is the fact that um, God exists outside of time and space, right? Like, there is our universe and um, how we believe it works, and there's time, and that's tied to space, and um, God is not part of time and space at present, I think. So I have to wonder if when we die, if we step out of time and space as well, our next moment is the resurrection. But I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to like, I don't want to speak with any authority. This is speculation, (laughs) right? I, 
I, I take my cue from scripture and the great tradition, and I don't know that I've read anything that's, you know, confident about what happens to us. Yeah, I mean, I think the question for me becomes when Jesus tells the thief on the cross, today mm. you will be with me in paradise. That's right. What does that mean? Yeah. Um, you know, is it this sort of Doctor Who type plot where, you know, time stops moving linearly at death and... um you know, there's a, a glitch in the matrix and bam, you <laughs> experience, uh, you know, the parousia. You've been red pilled. You've, you've been red pilled. <laughs> yeah. Um, or, uh, you know, is, is there this, um, you know, loss of consciousness that, you know, goes on for some indiscriminate amount of time or do you have consciousness in the heavenly realms um i i don't know i mean i my my sense is that there is likely some sort of eternal life experience disembodied for a period as we wait for the day of resurrection um but it's as much just that's what makes sense in my gut is that i have a strong sort of well-reasoned scripturally backed kind of perspective on it and i think it's also what i inherited right i mean that's that's the way my family of origin you know spoke about death and um, you know, that the, the time between the times kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my family always, you know, taught that, you know, when you die, you go to be with the Lord. Um, clearly not your body, but here's the thing. Like God didn't make us souls first and put us in bodies. Our body and soul is united. Mm -hmm. Um, we aren't meant to exist without our soul and body being one. So, yeah. And as for the Doctor Who thing, like, let's be clear. Time is just a bunch of wibbly wobbly timey-wimey mess. People who watch Doctor Who will understand that reference, even though I'm sure I didn't quite get the quote right. Um, we experience time linear linearly, uh, until we start to, what is it, speed up? As you, as you speed up towards... My theory of relativity is very, uh, very shaky at this point, so I can't help you. Yeah. We actually talked about this in one of my seminary classes at Asbury. Um, anyway, yeah. It, it's, a, it's a good question. And it's fun to think about to some extent. Um, I wouldn't let go of the to be absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord, though. Like, that's... I can't shake that one, right? Mm. Like... Yeah. Hard to tell. Mm -hmm. In the end, 
Um, I just trust that whatever the next uh, phase of life, of eternal life looks like, that it's going to be good. Oh, the reason I think that maybe we experience time differently. And this was, this was something that came from a conversation I had with my friend Paul Reisler, who's defending his... Uh, already did. Oh, did this he morning. post it on Facebook already? He said it was, oh, it was fun. It was so much fun. I, I sent much him a text message. Much funner than I thought it would be. I sent him a text message uh, this morning, you know, wishing him well, telling him I was, you know, excited oh. to talk to him. I, I don't, I'm not on Facebook much. Try you to aren't avoid anything. it. I'm not, except for my friend's except announcement. Except for you know everything. Yeah, you aren't so, missing much, but you're missing everything. I know. So. I know. It's okay. Um, Tough life. So, he and I were talking. I don't remember when or why, but you know, the idea of continuing to experience time in the fashion that we do now. The problem with that is, is that you know, to be before the Lord is. I would think the ultimate state of peace and joy. Um, but to be before the Lord without my daughters and my husband, like, uh, I don't know. Like, that seems less joyful than it could be. Hmm. So I, I do wonder, like, you know, upon my death, do I enter this, like, realm out of time where my family's already there. We're already together, right? All the people I love, already there. It's above my pay grade. I love metaphysics. I mean, I, yeah, yeah. My, my best guess is that my last conscious thought on earth and my first conscious thought in eternity i will not notice any time between them now whether time passes i i i don't i mean that's there's coding there that's beyond my ability to program um but like i'm pretty confident that it won't be like you die and you're consciously sitting there being like okay it's dark mm -hmm. it's cold and i can't get out that would be terrifying uh, it would be it'd be awful I mean, like that doesn't jive with today you will be with me in paradise. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I, I struggle with reports of near-death experiences. I don't know what to make of them. Um, but, you know, people typically, typically will talk about feeling at peace and being able to look down and see what's happening in the room or wherever they are. Um, yeah, which is a, which that's, that's a, uh, that's a sensation you can actually bring upon someone through stimulating different parts of the brain. 
So it's interesting to me. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's I'll above my pay grade. Yeah. Probably. I mean, I, I've down. known I've known several people who've, you know, experienced something like it. You know, my grandmother who died last month. Um, you know, fifty-seven years ago, when she gave birth to my dad, things went sideways and went yeah. sideways hard, and. For the last 57 years, she said that, um, you know, she remembers floating over the nurse's station and hearing the conversation between my grandfather and the nurses about, you know, we're sorry, your wife's not going to make it. And him being like, I have three kids, what am I going to do? And she being like, nope, nope, not happening. I'm going back. We're going to fix this. (laughs) Right? (laughs) You know, and I mean, for her, it was like the... It was a definitive sort of event in her life. Yeah. You know, that she was in that sort of transitional, uh, maybe still alive, but not really, you know, watching things play out and made a definitive decision. Nope. Can't, yeah. can't leave Dave with these three kids. <laughs> not not going to work, man. Uh, that uh, That's really kind of funny uh yeah that's interesting though right like you know did she have a choice or was she just like oh i mean in her mind yeah it was it was we are going back we are getting in this body we were getting this body up and we were taking care of these kids because it is not our time i am not leaving them alone (laughs) yeah so there you have it. I think uh, what Caleb and I are both saying is that uh, we don't know. We don't know. Caleb's <laughs> shrugging physically. Um, and I don't know. I don't. I hate to say this. I don't know how much it It doesn't really bother me that I don't know. I'll say that. Uh, yeah, it doesn't bother me one bit. Um, this is one of the things that I'm perfectly happy allowing upper management to handle yeah absolutely i do get excited about the new heaven and earth big time lucy and i talk about this a lot so much and she's really smart about it she's like mom part of um me feeling like i'm alive is um the thrill of like being in a dangerous situation and doing something really scary she goes, and I think that that's exciting because I know that maybe what I'm doing could kill me. And of course, I'm immediately like, what are you doing? Stop it. Not, not okay. <laughs> yeah. But, but she's like, but if we're never going to die, how do we get that sensation? I'm like, you are too young to be asking me these questions, my love. So, fun questions. Here's some LaHaye and Jenkins. Oh, <laughs> Lord, have mercy. No, you Bite your tongue. Yeah. yeah, no. But yeah, it's, it's <clears throat> delightful to think about. And I can sit and think all day about what it means to have the Trinity reside on earth and for earth to be healed. And, you know, I don't, I don't look at the lion laying down the, with the lamb as purely figurative, right? Like, Mm-mm. I think that that's both figurative and that there will be no more war and we will see peace among creatures who have not been at peace since the fall and literal. And that will be an exciting day. Will be.
Well, friends, we've come to the end of our time here. Um, we don't know what you got out of this podcast, but thanks for listening. I mean, you know, we went all over the place. We did. There, there, there's, you know, if nothing else, we we were able to say definitively we don't know what happens in the time between death and eternity. So, yeah, you have that for you. There we go. Yeah, and and we can definitively say that Red Bull. Red edition watermelon is not, not great. No. Not great. No. But. And we can uh, definitively say, yeah, I think that that might be it. We can say without definition that, you know. I mean, well, no. Here, <laughs> I, I will say this, right? Like, I'm like I what am, are you saying, Caleb? Um, so, and I said this a couple weeks ago. On, on Sunday, and I believe it, right? Like, every couple generations, the single most important task for faithful Christians is to prune some of the sophisticated extra-ness out of what has crept into our teaching on what is important mm-hmm. and get back to the primitive faith. And I am convinced that we are about 20 years past due for that season. Um, yeah, tying your faith to politics. It's just, um, yeah. It, oh, it's, politics and behavior and, yeah, I mean, it's just like we've, and and it's not, you know, like as someone who grew up in, you know, evangelicalism, it's easy to for me to see the examples of it there. But... I am quite confident that if we talk to people who grew up on the main line, um, they can come and give us the same examples of, you know, where their church became um, preached about activism to the exclusion of, um, you know, Christian doctrine and the sort of things that truly lead to life. So. So yeah, we are um, we are in this season in in the church together where we are we are clinging to primitive religion, and I think that's going to be exciting. It's going to be exciting. So it's a good season. Yep. I mean it's 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 the season that that comes right before revival. So yeah. Amen. So yeah. We will prune. We will cut out the weed trees. We will have some uh, some some prescribed burning in the forest of of you know our our religious movement, and in the long run, we will see God show up and bring about greater health, and that's that's exciting. It is. All right. Well. Until next week, listeners, stay caffeinated. Stay in love with Jesus. We'll see you later. Put a second pot on. We're going to learn.